Say no. How about that? No. Can y'all do that? Say no. Now that's not Nancy Reagan say no. That's just say no. We're going to start this evening in Genesis 25. So tell me when you're there. Jacob, we're glad you're back here today. We're proud of you, brother. Jacob has survived nearly a month with Usto Shivana. He didn't get the pig flu. He hasn't come back with any jokes that he shouldn't be telling. I'm going to call Usto and tell him his voice has dropped two octaves since he left. He seems taller and more mature. So we're, uh, we're thrilled to death to have Jacob here with us tonight. He's got to leave and catch a bus and go back to uh, the evangelism trail. Arkansas. Arkansas. Amen. Amen. Y'all in Genesis 25? Yes. yes. All right. I'm going to admit to you that tonight we start on a slightly negative note. Uh, I hope not to stay there. Some of that depends on us. You ready for Genesis 25? Yes. Let's start in the 29th verse. Would that be fair? Yes. Good. Because even if it's not, that's what we're going to do. Once when Jacob was cooking some stew. Did y'all remember that we, uh, we, we talked about stew last week? What kind of stew sulfur did we... Stew. Sulfur stew. What was the sulfur stew last week? That's a big fiery lake at the end of the millennial reign for those that never made it into the kingdom, right? Okay, well, Jacob's cooking some stew. Esau came in from the open country, famished. You know, I don't know what famished means. I'll be honest, I live in America. I have never been in a place where I thought I was going to die if I didn't eat. Now, I've said I was going to die. I say that between almost every meal. Every meal, I think I'm going to die. But I believe that this word suggests he was seriously hungry, famished. He said to Jacob, Quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. That is why he's also called the dawn. Jacob replied, First sell me your birthright. Look, I am about to die, Esau said. What good is the birthright to me? But Jacob said, Swear to me first. Nothing like selling plywood and hurricane, huh? Yeah. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to him, to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. All that for beans. That's disgusting. He ate and drank, then got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. Did it say anywhere prior to this that Esau didn't want his birthright? Does it say anywhere in it that he thought very little of his birthright? Doesn't say anywhere in here that, you know, he was out in the open country and he was thinking about it and his birthright wasn't worth having. What was his birthright, by the way? Oh, to be in the paternal line of the Messiah of the world. To be a member of God's chosen people on the planet in the very line from which the entire nation would derive. His birthright was something. So why does the word say that he despised his birthright? Well, because his actions showed that he did. See, I doubt seriously Esau ever said the words, I despise my birthright. I doubt very seriously that Esau ever thought to himself, I hate my birthright. But his actions showed that he hated his birthright. In that moment, do you think later he might have felt bad about this? Of course. Yes. Of course. The word even says later 
he felt bad about this. What is our birthright? Well, the first chapter of John says, As many would believe on him, he gave the right to be the sons of God. Boy, it doesn't get any better than that. That's better than being a son of Israel. That's a better birthright than he had. Are there Christians way out there in a galaxy far, far away <laughs> whose actions show they despise their birthright? Yeah. Are there Christians closer than that whose actions show they despise their birthright? Is there a Christian sitting in the chair you're in whose actions show they despise their birthright? Well, as I began to think about that, what is it that he did that showed he despised his birthright. Have you ever been really mad at Esau thought of him as a great big hairy thug? I have. I mean, I thought, what an idiot. You know, I mean, for beans, he gave up this. Really, all he did was succumb to a fleshly desire. For a moment of pleasure, a full belly, he gave up something that was rightfully his spiritually. No, there's never been Christians that did that. You haven't watched them in national ministries or in the mirror when you shave in the morning. We ever give up something that is ours spiritually because we succumb to the flesh for a moment. As I began to think about this, I thought, you know, lentils would not get me there. Okay? Everybody knows me knows I hate beans. One time a man was trying to be really ugly while appearing godly. He said, well, I brought Eric groceries. I don't know what else he could want. He brought me a bag full of beans. Yeah, thank you, brother. Yeah. Beans won't get me there. My particular bowl of stew is not lentils. But that does not mean that there are not bowls of stew in my life. I want to be about the business of identifying what is it that tempts me away from the grace of God? What is it that causes me to compromise in those areas? Is it anger? Is it patience? What is it? Because the devil is about tempting people. He's been doing it a long time. Eve didn't get tempted by a bowl of lentils. What'd she get tempted by? Somebody said apple. No, there was no apple there. That comes from a Latin word where evil and apple are the same. That's how that happened in church art, but that's a long story. She saw that something was good to the eye. Pleasing, desirable for gaining knowledge. It didn't matter that God was an eternal source of knowledge. It didn't matter that God was goodness itself. I saw a way where I could fill my own appetite. What does your bowl of stew look like, I wonder? When you begin to think about this, how much untold misery, pain, devastation, ruined ministries have happened because somebody chose a bowl of stew. We mentioned Eve. How about Adam's choice? Well, that kind of put us all in the tank, didn't it? How about Esau? You know, his people go down as an enemy of Israel for most of their history. How about Samson? Samson had a little problem. <laughs> a problem that no Christians ever had. In fact, Paul had to write to the Corinthian church and said, don't do the kind of thing Samson did. And they were a spirit-filled church. That's amazing to me. Solomon. Solomon, he had no bowls of stew in his life, did he? Solomon had so many bowls of stew, it didn't look like stew anymore. It just looked like life. I mean, read Ecclesiastes. You're reading the rantings of a nearly crazy person that comes to a really godly conclusion. How about Judas? 
bolus do in his life? How, how do these people... Oh, I know. That was all Old Testament. Let's talk about Ananias and Sapphira. What did their bolus do look like? Yeah, we gave you most of all of kind of some of part of it. Yeah, is this the full price? Uh-huh. You sure? Because the men who buried your husband, their feet are at the door now and they're going to carry you out. Bolus do. How did it end up? See, this stew... This stew has been brewing a long time and it's going to culminate in that sulfur stew in the end. When you trade your birthright, something that God gave you, He said, Brandon, I've got a future for you. John, I've got this for you. It's a ministry. It's this. It's this. It's this. It's this. Every time we choose to succumb to the flesh, we run the risk that that piece of satisfaction, whatever it is, whatever your lentil stew is, could cost you everything that God ever had in mind for you. I know. Grace. Grace. Grace, boy, it slides down my back and over my shoulders. And He so lavished it upon me that it's greasy. Sloppy agape, greasy grace is what the churches tend to preach. I want you to understand that is a misuse of God's grace. The fact that you did not immediately die the moment you ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil is grace. The fact that it was a process set forth in your life so that you could learn and grow from it and you did not become dead that moment, that is grace. What do we do with it though? When you have received grace like that, what do you do? <laughs> I didn't die. I didn't reap the consequence. You know what that means? i got time to do it again. Well, will that kind of grace save you? No, no. But I felt really bad about it for a couple minutes. Yeah. Slap your wife. Tell her you feel sorry. I felt bad for a couple minutes. Then slap her again. If she's a smart woman, she is going to go find another place to live. But I felt bad. Repentance is not feeling bad. It's not. Feeling bad can lead you to repentance. Did I mention all of this was for a bowl of beans? Not even refried beans. These could have been those nasty, stinking lima beans. Or kidney beans. Oh my, they could have, they could have had cabbage in it. And, oh. Talk me to Hebrews 12. Well, therein lies the problem. We don't always know what is good for us, do we? Hebrews 12. Good, good, brother, good. Now, as I began to think about stew, right? Now, there may be some unique stew in the room, you know? Maybe some of you got this weird little thing that nobody knows about. But the truth is, in lots of years of ministry, I find out we probably, probably all pretty well have the same stew in our lives. So when you look around and you say, what country are y'all from? America. Okay, so maybe we could just generalize. Maybe we could talk about America. Maybe we could say, what is America's particular bowl of stew? Would anybody deny that America trades its birthright for sex? No. No, probably not. Well, how about money? Now, in fact, those might be the top two bowls of stew that America is drunk on, isn't it? You guys are uh, Norwegian? Oh, that's right. We were all Americans. So maybe 
in our own lives, those are possibilities. Now, I'm sure for nobody in this room, but at times in my own life, money has been a powerful uh, influence. Most do. Yeah, I know nobody down here, right? I've heard your testimonies. I know you. You know me. Well, let's listen here. Because Hebrews 12 talks about this very act. Hebrews 12, starting in the 15th verse. Maybe we should start in the 14th verse. Make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Unless your particular church creed says, walk an aisle, say a prayer, and it's a good deal. Unless your particular church creed says, but you were christened, but you were confirmed, then we'll ignore the Word of God and we will just pacify your conscience. I'm going to hold to the Word of God. And it says, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. There's not an exception there that says, except you, Eric, because you and I got this really special thing, you know? I always liked you. You're kind of my boy. It's not there. No, except, does your Bible have an exception for you in it? Well, then holiness is something that's important to the Lord. See to it that no one <clears throat> misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. It's amazing. A bitter root can grow in someone's life to where it twists their entire personality. Where they were once fun-loving. They were ha happy, nice to be around. One incident where they get out of the unmerited favor of God. When they forget what God has done for them and decide to hold on to a wrong that someone did to them can so warp and change their personality that they can be damned for it. That is an amazing thing. Uh, that's a sidebar here. But forgiveness does not require someone to come to you and say, will you forgive me? Forgiveness does not require them to want it. Forgiveness, long and short, is to let go of any feeling of retribution for them and to leave room for God to sort it out. That is a powerful thing. A woman called me today that I got to minister to years ago. Powerhouse woman. She's got 21 women who were unchurched who were rape victims. And she brought them to a women's retreat. They'd never been there. They didn't know what was going to happen. She said the anointing was so heavy in the room as they began to speak about forgiveness that when she walked through, they fell down. I know her. She's an ordinary lady who yells at her kids and hits them with spatulas just like we do our kids. She told them that they were all going to move to a different retreat center to please pack your things. It's time to go. They all packed all of their things. Suitcases, everything. You know how much luggage women carry for a weekend? She hiked them through the woods for about half an hour. And when they were tired and about to fall out, she made a right turn down the trail she had always intended to go on and brought them to a 150-foot cross and said, would you like to sit down your backs? And then talk to them about forgiveness. She said those women left there with a freedom that even she hadn't expected. I wonder what would happen if we quit holding on to the wrongs of the people that are around us and started paying more attention to the stew in our own lives. See to it that no one is sexually immoral or godless like Esau. Now, I'm just curious. Is the writer of Hebrews, did he forget his story? Is there any hint that, is, that Esau was sexually immoral? Not really. Not really. 
He was just hungry. Wasn't he? See, but when we're talking about cravings of the flesh, we're really talking about all animals of the same species. He links sexual immorality to Esau, who traded his birthright. Has there ever been a preacher anywhere? Because we're talking to a preacher now, who traded his birthright for sexual immorality. Well, that brother's still saved. Really? I got you. I believe it. I love you. I thank you. And I'm still saved, even though I have done some things in my life. But is he everything he could have been? So did he trade at least a person? of his birthright. Oh, it's so easy when we're talking about someone else, isn't it? How much of your birthright do you give away daily? So Eric, dude, honestly, man, I'm cool. I cut off the internet in my house. I threw away my TV. Pure. I mean, we're crystal clear. Good for you. I'm glad you're making every effort. Unfortunately, all cravings of the flesh that are outside God's will can cause you to lose pieces of your birthright. And which leads me to a question. Were the beans worth it? Mm. You know, I imagine Esau had to eat again. You think? Yes. And I imagine what happened to those beans is the same thing that happens to everyone who eats food. It just passed right through the body. Was it worth it? It seems so simple when we talk about Esau. But do we do things for temporary, short-term gain that have eternal consequences? Maybe we've misused the grace of God. Maybe we have the idea that because you're not immediately damned for it, it is not dangerous. Maybe because there was no punishment, no seeming consequences right then, we've taken it to be a license for immorality. Almost makes you wish somebody's ready to throw a rock at you every time you did something wrong. <coughs> but the grace of God doesn't work that way. See, because the charis, the unmerited favor, the mercy, the love, the affection of God, it was poured on you for a purpose. And the purpose was so that you would love Him so much, so that you would be so indebted to Him, that you wouldn't ask Him, what do I get to do and not get to do? Your goal in life would be, what can I do for you since you've already done so much for me? This kind of heart never says, uh, to be honest with you, this is very hard for me to do. Doesn't do that. It says, Lord, is that all you require of me? Wow, I owe you so much more. See, there's a misuse of God's grace in the church land to the point where it's not even grace anymore. It's a lie. And people are damned every day that think that they're walking in grace. Now, this is not to get you scared. It's to get us to take an inventory of our life. So do we really think we're doing the Lord a favor when we do what He's told us to do? Are we still just unworthy servants? See, when you grasp grace, what begins to happen is you go, I really was that bad, wasn't I? And I still kind of am in some areas. Lord, I owe you everything. I would do anything for you. Speak the word and I will do it. Not what do I have to do? What's the minimum? You mean you want what? When you have an idea of what grace is, you want to do something in response. Listen to this. See to it that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. He could bring about no change of mind, though he sought the blessing with tears. But what about grace? I thought he just needed to be forgiven. He was forgiven. 
But the consequence of his action means he would never be what he could have been. You understand the difference? Yes. God forgives you for what you did today, what you did yesterday. But friends, when you dwell in sin long enough, you may never become what you could be. You may be trading your birthright for something you click on with a mouse. You may be trading your birthright to have a few more dollars in your pocket at the end of a month. You may be trading your birthright for something as stupid as a bowl of beans. But grace is right there all of the time. It says, no, 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 you're forgiven. That does not mean that your life will not suffer consequences. David was forgiven. The sword never departed from his house. A son died. Another committed adultery with his wives on the roof. He watched his closest friends be separated from him. And his whole life long, there was trouble because of it. Do we mock the grace of God? Well, none of that's happened to me. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, that hurts a little, doesn't it? Proverbs 6 is something that I need to read you, and then we're going to elevate our thinking. Wouldn't that be nice? Yes. Wouldn't it be good? Because I know y'all don't want to stay in the stew the whole time. So the faster we can get to Proverbs 6, and I hear every person say, There. There. There we go. Now I want to confess, Proverbs 6 is a little more stew. But after this, we'll move on. The stew will be gone. In 6.32, we hear a warning. But a man who commits adultery... By the way, the Hebrew word for adultery doesn't just mean sexual impropriety. I mean, that's like uh, the best known example of it. But the Hebrew word for adultery means an awful tearing. And it can happen even between you and God. It can happen between you and a business partner. It can happen between you and anybody that you're in covenant with. When you do something horrible that tears you in two different directions, when you were supposed to be united, the Bible calls that adultery. That's why Israel can be called adulterous as a nation. Although obviously as a nation they were not cohabitating with God in the way that a man and a woman did. It's not just a uh, euphemism. It literally means to be awfully torn. If a man who commits adultery, I'm sorry, 32, but a man who commits adultery lacks judgment. Well, I would say so. Yeah. Stu. Whoever does so destroys himself. Who destroys him? He destroys him. Isn't that hard? Your own actions can destroy you. Esau's desire for Stu that outweighed his desire for what God had for him destroyed his future. Now, he didn't drop dead. He still had a chance to do a lot of things in life. But he never became what he could have been. Blows and disgrace are his lot. And his shame will eventually be wiped away. Never be wiped away. Never be wiped away. There are things that you can do that, yes, you will be forgiven for, but that does not mean that the consequences will ever go away. Contract HIV and you may never get rid of it. Although I know some people that have been healed of it. But you may never. Say, but I'm forgiven. Yeah. What could you have been? Was it worth it? Why do we never think of these things in the moment? Because we're famished, right? Because the flesh has a powerful, powerful voice. 
And, I mean, God is kind of cruel to put me in a body that craves all of these things. You don't understand, Lord. Oh, that's right. You took on human flesh. You walked around in the weakness of human flesh. Turn with me to Hebrews 4. Y'all mad at me? There. No. There. No. I'm just trying to rid the church and my own life of stew. I would rather have spirit than stew. And ultimately, whether we're talking about the sulfur stew at the end or the bowl of beans now, that is always the choice. Dwell with God, staying in step with His Spirit, or stew. I never liked stew that much, honestly. We all talked about it. We all said, man, wasn't that fun? But it really was never that fun. It's like a great big deception for those who refuse to love the truth. You know how you know that the stew in your life is really not that good? Because you did it once and it didn't achieve anything and now you're thinking of doing it again. The last time you got angry and I gave him a piece of my mind. Really? How well did that work out? Did, it fit, did, did the lamb lay down with the lion right after that? Were the children playing with the cobra right after that? It did not bring the millennial reign you acting on your own flesh? Then is it worth it? Because walking in the Spirit will bring the millennial rank. There is no question about it. The Bible promises it. Hmm. Y'all in Hebrews 4? Yes. Hebrews 4, starting in... One day I will have a nice word for the church, I promise. I mean, I'll tell you how to be a champion or something. You ready for the 15th verse? Yes. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. I'm not going to ask you to name your stew. But I'm going to tell you this. It surrounded Jesus too. It had no hold on Him. He was tempted in every way, yet was without sin. Eric, he was, he was tempted to do crack? No, there was no crack. But all sin, all sin has its root in the same thing. It's when your flesh is famished and it wants to be fed. And we have a choice. We have a choice. It's before us all of the time. Jesus only did what He saw His Father do. So much so that the prince of this world had zero hold on Him. He had never been able to sell Him stew. How much hold does He have on the church? How much stew has He peddled in the church? There's a lot of flesh in the church. Even in ours. That I'm so proud of. Even in this pastor. I'm on a mission to get rid of it. Yet He was without sin. Since Jesus is the one who understands our weakness. Since Jesus is the one that knows exactly what it is like to feel the voice of the flesh, but has overcome it, then we ought to take His advice. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace. Why? To help us in our time of need. Grace is not afterwards, there is no consequence. Grace is in the moment that Esau was there, hungry, but seeing a bowl of stew. If he had said, man will not live on a bowl of stew, but on every word that comes from God's mouth, help me, Lord! Yeah. Angels would have shown up and fed him if they had to. Grace is that God will come through for you if you do not give in to flesh. 
Grace is you will find unmerited, unearned aid and help from the Lord in your time of need. Grace is not, well, I know I did that, but grace. Just love to hear a good message on grace. I worked in the plant, and that is all I ever heard from a certain denomination. I just love to hear a good message on grace. Yeah, and you still don't know what it is, do you? Well, we got to live in this body. We're going to sin. You're going to sin, buddy. I'm fighting against that. Amen. They also prayed like this. Oh, Lord, we're just dear sinners. No, I am a saint. I am a son of God. It is my birthright, and I will walk in it. I refuse the title sinner. You know what stupid is as stupid does? Call yourself a sinner and don't be surprised that you sin. Call yourself a son of God and you may begin to act like a son of God because it is your birthright. So next time somebody tries to sell you stew out of the taqueria van, you say, no! I got filet mignon. I sit at the king's table. I have a birthright. It's full of manna. It is full of goodness from God and I will not trade what is eternal for that. You insult me with your offer, devil. Get away from me. This is how Jesus overcomes. You insult me, devil, with your offer. Get away from me. Saints, sometimes you have to say no. Jesus understands and helps us in our time of need. Have you ever heard that you just need, you know, self-control? Yes. <laughs> I was trying to talk to a drug addict one time. Uh, it been since the 70s, taking things, putting them in lemon juice, breaking them up, and shooting them in his arms. He did teach me to do sheetrock, which turned out good, because I've sheetrocked every church building we've been in since. But I told him, that a fruit of the Spirit was self-control. He misunderstood. He said, Eric, self-control? You ever tried that when you had diarrhea? <laughs> See, he thought when I said self-control that I meant I would control myself. Now, I learned a long time ago I don't have the ability to control myself. See, self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit, when you submit yourself to Him, will control self. Self-control is not, I and my willpower will do this. Self-control is, Lord, I'm in weakness and I need Your help. Help me. And He will control yourself. It's no wonder then that the same passage in Galatians 5 says, let us keep step with the Spirit. Yes. Your power, your strength does not come from your ability to control. Before I got born again, I wanted to quit cursing because I knew it was wrong. I punished myself. At first, five push-ups for every curse word. Then ten push-ups for every curse word. Then twenty for every curse word. I could do over one hundred push-ups without stopping in one setting, but I could not quit cursing. The moment that I fell on my face in my room and said, Lord, change me. Those words left me and it had nothing to do with willpower. Now, I have found in 16 years that occasionally one will resurface. I have to remind it. Stu, get away from me. I buried you in that baptismal water. That's not a part of my life anymore. Now, I speak as led by the Spirit the very words of God as an ambassador of God. But I would be lying if I said one never came to mind. 
I know y'all can't relate to that. <laughs> this is why Hebrews says, those who have been trained by the word through its constant use can distinguish good from evil. But there we go again. We have to do something. It's not just grace afterwards. I said a bad word, grace, <coughs> grace. No, grace is in the moment you want to say a bad word. And you ask God for help, and He helps you. Yes. Biggest example of grace I could think of in my life as far as worldly passion. A man took $600 in deposit from me on a vehicle that I needed. I was born again three months. $600 was 75% of what I made in a month. The vehicle he was selling was only $1,500. Well, my loan for $1,000 didn't go through. Right? had no credit. I was 18. So I went back an hour later and said, I'm sorry, sir, my loan didn't go through. He said, I'm sorry, son, that's not the way a deposit works. I still remember his name. I know where his house is. <laughs> Every time I go to Baton Rouge, I still remember it. See, I stood outside his door, trembling. And my thought was, I will have no problem kicking in your door and taking my money. And if there's anything else in your pocket, I'd probably take that too for my trouble. And if you get hurt between now and then, that's all right with me. And I fell on my knees like a child and cried at his doorstep and said, Lord, help me. And he did. So I went home to my wife, $600 short and without the car that we needed. I told her the story and I was interrupted because the phone rang. He didn't call me. I called her. And he said, I feel like I need to give you your $600 back. Would you come get it and not your husband? <laughs> God will always do for you what you cannot do for yourself. You've got to give him a chance. Though. You know what would have happened to 18-year-old, three-month born-again Eric if I had taken that into my own hands? He might be visiting me in prison ministry. <laughs> I would have sold my birthright. Yes. How many people would go back and sell their birthright if they knew what it would cost them now? See, on the other side, you think, what in the H-E-double-L was I thinking? Of course the beans weren't worth it. But at the time, it seemed like such a good idea. Saints, we need to be smarter. We need to be aware of the devil's schemes. Yes. If he's presenting you an immediate solution, it might not be the right one. It might not be the right one. If we could just stop and ask for God's help, if we could try to stay in step with His Spirit, how much easier would our lives be? Self-control is not you controlling yourself. It is the Holy Spirit controlling self in you. Turn with me to Titus 2. I hope those stories about cars and stuff don't surprise you. I was not born safe. And occasionally there have been people who attacked me, like that man with his forehead ramming it into my hand. But I have learned a better way, and that is grace. Because after being forgiven the things that I have been forgiven in my life, I have a very hard time charging other people 
with serious wrong. If you were forgiven a million dollars that somebody was calling you day and night for, showing up at your work for, telling your wife that there were ways to pay it off, every unseedy thing in the world, and you face that pressure day and night, and the debt was forgiven, how good would you feel about going out and kicking a child in the face for the quarter that he owes you? Yeah. We do it every day. And it warps our lives. It twists us. That is a bitter root. In fact, when we look back at the Lord who has done so much for us and say, you want me to do what? That's hard for me. That is like kicking a child in the face. What has He done for you? There are people in this church, like every church that have been delivered of every unwholesome activity in the world, and some still got a ways to go, just like me. What would you pay to be free from the ravages of adultery? What would you be paid to be free from alcoholism? What do you think a man would give to have the respect of his children back? Amen. And all of those things in Christ are yours. Mm. And many of you have already received those specific examples. So what is too much that he could ask of you? Mm. We think we do the Lord a favor when we do what he tells us to do. That's ridiculous and it's a misuse of grace. In Titus, the scripture that began all of this for me is Titus 2, starting in 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. That basically means there's not a man alive who has gotten what he deserves. Grace has been there. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior who gave Himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness, all stupid, and to purify for Himself a people that are His very own, hear this last part, eager to do what is good. Yeah. Don't you talk to me about grace if I don't see you eager to do what is good. You don't understand it. Grace is not the absence of negative consequence. Grace is not that you feel sorry that you did something wrong. Grace is, I have received so much from the Lord that now I am eager to do anything that He might ask because I owe Him everything. Yeah. Everything. My life's not my own anymore. It all belongs to Him. Not 10%, 100%. And if I had more to give, I would give Him more. Yes. That's grace. The next time somebody tells you they want to hear a good message on grace... See whether or not they are eager to do good or whether really, as Jude 4 says, grace has simply become for them a license for immorality. You don't turn there. I'm going to read it to you. I rarely lie when I preach. These are godless men who change the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny 
Jesus, our only Sovereign and Lord. Friends, just like Esau, the word never came out of their mouth, I deny Jesus. It just showed up in their actions. They traded him for stew. <coughs> Amazing thing happens. The word goes on to say such men, it's condemnation, is self-deserved. This is a little bit like the adulterer who is devastating his own life. After receiving the kind of unmerited favor that all of us have, if we then show contempt for the grace of God by not being eager to do what is right, by still only looking to feed our own flesh, our condemnation is self-deserved. You have a high priest. Your high priest knows exactly what it's like to be tempted in every area. By the way, when the devil left Jesus, right? Jesus had not eaten in 40 days, right? Would you call that famished? Yeah. I'd call that famished. When the devil left him, there's this little phrase that appears in both Matthew and Luke, fourth chapter. He left him for a more opportune time. You read about one temptation because that's all you needed to read about. But I suspect in his life there were more. The bottom line is he never yielded to him. And that same character, that same presence, that same body of work, that same name, that same authority is all available to you. So what excuse do we have? We really don't. Are you saying, Eric, that I'm a bad person? No, I'm saying you have the potential to be just like Jesus. And your birthright is a son of God. That is your birthright. Saints, wouldn't it be wonderful if you could count on the person on your left and your right to live up to their birthright? Wouldn't it be wonderful if the person on your left and right could count on you? See, then we would really have a church, wouldn't we? You would have to tell people, Ooh, that's too much, brother. Save some food for yourself because you need to eat too. You would have to tell people, no, 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 no. Uh, that's too much. It's, it's okay. Everybody's needs are being met. There's equality among all. You hold on to that. It's okay to have a blessing. Not very often churches have to say things like that to people. But if we all lived up to our birthright, there'd be an equality among everybody. There would be no problem. I don't guess the church has ever done that. Wait, there is the book of Acts and it did. And that's the environment it started in. Well, what's wrong? Maybe God lessened His power. Maybe He quit working that way. Now, maybe just the people changed. The good news is if we did, we can change again and we are life-changing ministries. We have a choice right now. The grace of God can teach us to say no to ungodliness. It can teach us to say no to ungodliness. So the next time you're offered stew of any kind, selfishness, selfish ambition, stingy, whatever it is, whatever the voice of the flesh says, you can say, I have been forgiven so much, I will not trade my birthright for that. Say no to ungodliness. Yeah. Amen? Amen. Stay there. Knowing what you were saved from should produce a compulsion to do for Jesus. Not what I, not what do I have to do, but what do I get to do.
We're going to pray together. I want to share one more thing with you as we pray. There's nothing wrong with admitting weakness. I especially enjoy, enjoy testimonies where people say, I struggle with this. As long as the testimony ends in something else. There is nothing wrong with saying it is hard for me to do this. As long as it is but the grace of God has taught me that it really shouldn't be hard. But all the rest is really just self-pity and an excuse to sin. And I refuse to dwell there in my life or in yours. This church is called to accomplish something for God. And if you're here, you're here tonight for a reason. In the end, all we will have is what we did for Him. It won't matter what we did yesterday, all the bad things. It will matter what we accomplished for Him. And the grace of God better compel you. Mighty One, we thank You for Your grace. Your Word is right when we say it has been lavished upon us. Lord, so many times I have not thought about that. I've thought about my own lack, my own need, and my own selfishness. But Lord, I realize tonight I am just an unworthy servant. And if you just saved me, that would have been enough. But you have done so much more than I could have asked for or imagined already. I will not hold any area of my life back from you. You have it all, Lord God. Every bit of it. And as I discover new areas, I dedicate them afresh to you again. And I say no. No to any stew. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. Sunday, I got good news for y'all. But you got to come back Sunday.